It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Ooh, super friends with Eric Esquivel. Welcome back to Super Friends. I'm really excited today. I'm joined by none other than Adam Goldberg. How's it going? Adam is a very uh, talented individual. He's a uh, screenwriter. He is a podcast personality. He's an entrepreneur. He is a uh, a minor supervillain sometimes. I've been accused. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming, Adam. I'm really excited to be here today. Although recently I've been a lot more uh, DSA than JSA. Uh, well, well, we'll get over that. That's fine. That's fine. So we were talking today about your favorite Superman story, mm-hmm. which is the Superman Batman Volume 1 from mm-hmm. 2003. This is not Batman Superman from nope. 2013. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about Batman v Superman. We're mm-hmm. talking about it's Superman. It's a court case. That's why it's a V. <laughs> Batman suing Superman. Versus Roe versus Wade. Uh, yeah, this is Superman Batman Volume 1 from 2003 by Jeff Loeb, mm-hmm. who is the current executive or uh, yeah executive vice president of Marvel Television. So that's pretty interesting. He jumped ship to Marvel after that. And Ed McGuinness, who's one of my like top three Superman artists of all time. Uh, to give some context to what was going on at this time in my life, my mom uh, works and still works at the Framingham Public Library. Okay. And around this time, they just got this huge array full of comic books, just trade paperback after trade paperback, probably hundreds of them. And one of the ones that just jumped out at me at the, the idea of possibilities was Superman, Batman. Yeah, Absolutely. And just this idea that this is the first time that we really saw the dichotomy of these two people. It's not just, oh, they're teaming up for this one special issue. It's these people, we're going to see what brings them together and what brings them apart in the one of the most interesting stories of the President Lex storylines. I think the last one. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. it ends up with him in a sewer or something. Yeah, yeah. It ends my favorite arc, which was the, the old Man of Action era in the 90s when, when Lex was president and Clark didn't know what to do about that. You can't punch the president. It was really dramatic. And this is the story where I think it's very timely now that uh, we had to live vicariously through Superman and Batman. They mm-hmm. went to the White House and just plucked the president out of the Oval <laughs> Office and fought him in a sewer, which sounds very fun. And I like the climax. Uh, we'll get to that, uh, I guess, last. But yeah. the, the, the bifurcated, the way that they wrote, too. This is going to be a Superman story and a Batman story. Yeah, that's from panel one. The, the first open sequence in the first issue is them talking about their secret origins to mm-hmm. get people up to speed. And uh, Clark refers to his as a recurring dream being in space, and Bruce refers to his as a recurring nightmare. I think we see, like, super. We see. Uh, do we start off with Batman at the funeral? Of his parents, or is it one where he falls into a grave full of bats? Those, those <laughs> seem like the big openers. Yeah, I think this is him walking through the alley. He's talking about how before it was Crime Alley, it was called like Parkway or something. And, and Safe Clark, Alley. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, was, it was called No Crime Ever. It's totally cool here, Alley. And, and Clark's talking about like being in the spaceship as a kid, looking out at the stars and how the world's full of possibility. And Bruce is talking about how on that night, possibility was wrenched from him. And Superman is saying, like, I'm so lucky to have the powers that I do and the life that I do. And then Bruce is saying, like, I wouldn't wish this life on my worst enemy. And there's that, like, two-page, that's who those men are. It's excellent, like, elegantly written. I think the way that they, the, the, there's so much in these comics. There's so many villains that are serviced so interestingly. And you just see that these people, these two guys, who are both versions of the common man. Mm-hmm. We see Clark Kent as the the quintessential journalist. You know, I want to I want to hear what other people have to say. And we have... Bruce Wayne, who was, I think Bob Kane was told in the 1930s, can you make a guy relatable? It's like, oh yeah, a guy with a car like his face and he shoots criminals <laughs> and he's a millionaire <laughs> and his name is Cobb Bane. No, yeah. I'll save that one for later. That's too good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty great. And they focus on the fact that they're both very smart men, which mm-hmm. I like. Like uh, Clark, very early on, um, surprises Bruce by being like smart and like putting two things together and he's like hey who's the detective here he was like well i'm an investigative journalist (laughs) so they piece that together they're both very like sherlock holmes derived characters and they're both so eloquent in the way that they're able to it it could have been a real crutch to see this story as i like things i'm superman i dislike things i'm batman yeah yeah totally totally. but the way they talk about each other can we get a few of uh what clark says about uh, i think a few in the few early pages we get a sense of what clark thinks of bruce in the reverse yeah 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 Absolutely. Yeah, there's there's a lot of like them both talking about each other and like 
how they they're inspired by one another and bruce says that like i don't want to Bruce is like half the reason that I fight is that I don't want to go down before this guy. Like I believe in the good that he represents, and mm-hmm. and, and Clark talks about just um, being blown away by Batman's will to live, by his like un- indomitable willpower, and how amazing that is. It's a lot of fun. So you read this in two thousand three when yeah. the trade came out. Yeah. So I, I read it weekly, or I read it monthly when the singles came out, and the mystery was a big thing to me. Like in issue one, we established that maybe Metallo was the guy who killed Batman's parents. Because mm-hmm. in this continuity, Bruce never found his, his parents' killer, and he, that's why he's Batman. He's looking for justice. Mm-hmm. And it's not the Joe Chill thing. Yeah, which every... I don't know why we still have to do superhero origin stories, which are... If you're going to see the superhero on the poster, you know how they got their powers. You can do that in 10 minutes, five <laughs> minutes at the start of the movie. Yeah, But yeah. Superman... I think Batman, more than any other superhero, is tied to his origins in a way that filmmakers feel that they can reveal. It's very visceral for kids too, because it's like, what if someone took away your parents? That that's it's easy to explain to a child how scary that is. That's that's high stakes. I think know? the trade-off though is a lot of every Disney movie kills off the parents as soon as possible. Kids mm-hmm. like the idea of this is going to be an adventure. Mom and dad are dead. We're puppies. Whatever. We're just going to go <laughs> on an adventure, and we don't have. They'll naturally play like that. We're but free. the idea of Bruce was Bruce is probably the most trapped in his origin of any here. Uh, Spider-Man pays homage to Uncle Ben being a vital part of his origin, but he's still. That doesn't come across when he's flirting with Black Cat or going to see one of Mary Jane's plays. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But Superman, the color, even the colors of the costume, even the lair—it's mm. not. It's a place that's devoid of natural sunlight. It's a mm. cave. It's this dark place where he gets to deny Alfred its ability to bring him sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not my real dad. I had a real dad once, and he's <laughs> dead. Like, we know, Bruce. We know. I really liked what the. Uh, Telltale Games did with the... Have you gotten a chance to play those yet? I haven't played those, no, no. They really turn the Batman origin into like a noir where it's like you don't know everything about the Waynes. You don't know everything about Batman's public identity. Hmm. And you get you get to see the Waynes as something other than these sainted figures. And it so deepens Batman by trying to say, am I really doing this for me? Am I doing it for the people? Or am I doing it so I'm not my fucking criminal father? Oh, wow. You know, wow. am I not just a rich boy that everyone thinks is a dumbass, which hmm. is... A lot of the 2000 stuff, except uh, No Man's Land, painted Bruce's, I gotta pretend to be dumb, I hate drinking and hating, hanging off beautiful ladies all the time. This is so it's, terrible. What a hard life, yeah. <laughs> There's a book uh, by Andrew Vox, uh, V-A-C-C-H-S, that is about um, Martha Wayne, mm-hmm. and about that she, like, secretly she was this woman who, like, donated a lot of money to charity and, mm-hmm. and used the Wayne fortune to... Uh, kind of like hunt pedophiles was the was the whole thing and like because she was giving so much money and helping like the, the people crack down on, on like child abuse uh, an assassin was sent for by this creepy pedophile ring and like that's why they were killed it was because martha wayne was so important and usually that's she has so, no story that's i i do see her as it's very hard to make it the hero's mom a really interesting character especially mm-hmm. for Comic books are what we usually find when we're realizing our parents aren't the most interesting thing that can be conceived. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the true crime elements of that reminds me of that really terrible Outsiders arc where they went on America's Top Fugitive or whatever that show was, and they had the yeah, real host, yes, and they're like, we can't solve crimes. We need television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just wonder how much money was paid or if they, who had to agree to be like, yeah, of course, I'll, I'll <laughs> be a cameo. I, I just... <laughs> Yeah, but to bring it on back to this story, there's sure. a true crime element in this story, which is that Bruce is looking for his his the killer of his parents, mm-hmm. and maybe in this continuity, it is a, a giant alien robot alloy person called Metallo. So it brings Superman into the mix there, and that that's kind of fun. So I think what's really fun about this story is we just see they basically this is where the gloves come off. Where whenever Batman's in a super a story of Superman, there's like homage paid to this guy. Is, is He's not fast without his car. His bones can break. But we get the sense of a bat god, mm-hmm. you know, someone who's at least clever enough to come up with the shortcomings of uh, dealing with Superman. And there's some stuff early on, too, where, like, uh, Clark is shot by a kryptonite bullet yeah. by, by Metallo. And then Bruce has to use his surgery skills to get it out before Clark's skin regenerates. And he's, and he's just it. dragging him through the sewers, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. a great image that uh, echoes at the end of the story. I, I like Alfred in this, too, when they meet Alfred yeah. in the cave in the sewer. Are you a fan of that character? Al- Alfred and Superman is one of the those limited uh, pairings that always pays off, like yeah. in a favorite TV show where the side characters get a moment. Mm-hmm. I think the best Alfred-Superman moment was in the first Injustice comic book, Okay, where Batman, it's just after, uh, the, the origin of the Injustice comics is uh, Joker tricks Superman into killing Lois Lane. Oh, man. And then it, uh, Superman just goes crazy and becomes a tyrant. 
Sure. But while he's deciding whether or not to become a tyrant, um, he visits Bruce and has one of those, one of the 30 conversations they have over the course of these comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and Alfred says, Master Clark, uh, he's right downstairs, and Superman says, you don't have to call me Master Alfred. And Alfred says, you'd be wise to remember that. Oh, that's good. That's a good it's exchange. Like, I like that a lot. You mentioned liking, like being into tertiary characters and sidekicks and whatnot. Mm-hmm. You actually wrote a play called Sidekick in It. I did. That was one of those. Um, it was the second major superhero play I wrote in my life. The um, second? What was the first? The first one was called Issues, which is we wrote in high school during a 24-hour theater festival. 12 hours to write, 12 hours to put it on. Oh, that's cool. And the first time I was a writer as a kid, but this was the first time I saw, oh, if I write something, people will do it, and then other people will laugh, which got me out of... <laughs> Having to be a, a ninth grade stand up comic, which was a rough path. <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty difficult. But so side kicking it. it. When did you write that? Um, I think it was 2009, 2010. And um, it was uh, Emerson College, uh, which a slogan freaks and geeks meets Will and Grace. Gotcha. gotcha. Even I'm bored, but I've been using that one since I graduated. I think I know. I heard that joke during freshman. We had a freshman speech class. I'm like, someone, she's like, a lot of people are critical of the college. And I'm like, I'm going to take this quote forever. <laughs> you mentioned there's a castle. I don't want to do really. Oh, much, the but... castle. Well, uh, yeah. Emerson, that was on the air. Oh, embarrassing. Uh, Emerson has a uh, foreign program, but it's based in a Dutch castle so called cool. the Castile Well. Oh, man. Yeah. So anyway, you wrote yeah, a play. So I wrote a play for um, Sidekick in it, which is about a girl named Robin. Not a sidekick name. And discovering <laughs> I that, get it, because yeah, Robin. This was before. This was 2010, so it was superheroes were a big thing, but they weren't the omnipresent thing that they would become over the last seven years. Mm. Where feel it feels like, like most culture is superheroes or reaction to superheroes. I think Chris Nolan saw this play and used that, the name is Robin for The Dark Knight Rises. I'm pretty sure. I'm going to bet money on that. But anyway, go on. Uh, the character Robin. More, yeah. The, she. It, it's a children's play. It started my children's playwriting career. Um, it's about Robin and a supervillain named Von Darkness. Such a good name. It's, it's, uh, it's a very good Dr. Doom pastiche in his uh, sidekick. Mm-hmm. Nocturne, a sneaky style sneak thief, I think I wrote. <laughs> Uh, and uh, the superhero uh, is too brave to admit that he needs a sidekick. Who's mm. well, How can a 12-year-old girl help me out with something? And then kids learn, actually, 12-year-olds are important to society, yeah, especially yeah. if they're supervillains. Yeah, it's really good, too. It's a, it's a very, like, heartwarming kind of, like, uh, kind of like if the tick had more emotion in it. And what, I liked it a lot. And I liked that also you wrote all the characters could be either gender in the screenplay yeah, or in the, in the and script. I thought that was really fun. We've seen uh, one of the cool things about producing a play, it's uh, distributed through youth plays, mm-hmm. is that you can see uh, how other people produce it. If like They'll say, oh, you got a, you got a royalty fee. But not a lot of money. Children, children's theater is not a money-making field. Oh, I'll tell man, you that. The, you're minds not... right now. <laughs> But um, to see other people send in pictures of how they produce the play yeah. and just seeing from like, oh, due to that costuming choice and the per- the fact that you made this part of the set, I know exactly what choices you made and how you interpreted my thing. Oh, that's cool. So the sidekick in it is notable because it was the first time I saw people perform my stuff and I'm like, oh, this is significantly better than what I wrote. It's not awesome. a faithful adaptation of what I wrote, but it's like. You guys thought of things and made choices and did stuff that makes this so much better than the way I had, which is a very important thing that you need to come to as a writer. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're going to be defensive, greedy, and or unpublished, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's a very great point. And there are versions of the play that I think exist online on, like, YouTube and Vimeo. Yeah, I I put a YouTube version up that was really well recorded considering it was the videographer's first time seeing the play. Gotcha, didn't gotcha. miss very much. How did folks find that? What should they search to find They should that? check the Adam Ultraberg uh, YouTube channel. I keep a lot of my stuff on there. Adam I think Ultraberg. I was cursed by being saying, telling Dan Harmon my real name back in Harmontown number one. <laughs> it's like Mixus Fiddle, actually. Instead of going by the pseudonym, which is... I, I was at, uh, at, um, at Pie Hole near Angel City Brewery last night yeah. uh, for the Jordan Jesse Go live show, and I was still getting recognized from Harmontown, and I haven't been on since... January it's since they moved to new space to get recognized from a podcast. Well, the voice, audio. the voice is the second <laughs> voice. It's a, Plus, you're wearing an "I'm Adam Goldberg" t-shirt. The, I'm Adam Goldberg t-shirt. The Harmontown tattoo on the yeah, forehead. Yeah. The mark of the beast. The mark of the beast. Yeah, let's let's talk about Harmontown because that's the first time that I ever encountered uh, your work, which is just you speaking. I, I was back when I lived in Tucson. <laughs> I'm gonna keep the. 
I'm going to put that. That's a great pull quote. I encountered your work, <laughs> which is just you speaking. No, but you're very funny. I'm you're very, very Terry fast on your feet. You mentioned that you were in ninth grade uh, Seinfeld, basically, which is uh, very cool. I, yeah. Well, I, was, I mean, I was Jewish and I was dating someone much younger than me. I was dating a. Well, I was dating a high school. No, uh, <laughs> it's a deep cut that, to people who dislike Seinfeld in 1994. There's that uh, patented Adam Ultraberg humor. Yeah, yeah so too fast. So Harmontown is where where I uh, met you, and you sort of uh, played a caricature of yourself every once in a while to get on stage. You were like halfway between Superboy and Lex Luthor, I like Connor Kent or Alex <laughs> Luthor. Yes, 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 yes. Um, the big thing that you can discover by being on other people's podcasts as a non-invited guest <laughs> is that within a five-minute window you have and i love that we're in the same building that that's recorded in yeah, yeah. or was recorded hey, in meltdown come. yes hey meltdown shout out um that you are not given the full time as someone else you are inherently a side character which inherently limits you and then you're dissected as a side character which judges the audience and how you're done the next time yeah yeah i think it was a great opportunity to be able to do that but i think that um i'm really glad i stepped away from it because you really can't plant your flag on someone else's island you know yeah yeah. it's the dan Harmon show with guests and as long as i wasn't a guest it was fighting an edgewise not to be uh, put into side character. Also, I'm here from the audience, and I have five seconds of stuff. And can I? Oh, no, well, well, but can I get the? No, can I get the? Oh, now, the, now you saying no <laughs> is the story here. Yeah, it, it helped to form a narrative around that era of of uh, Harmontown and Meltdown, and like you were like a fifth dimensional imp, like Mixius Pitalik, who just popped up and caused mischief every once in a while. And he invited the, the me the first time. I, well, he always clearly enjoyed it, or else he wouldn't have you up there. It's he, like he vampires. If you could, you have to invite them in once, and then oh, it's man. your fault. Then you're good. But yeah, yeah, that's where I encountered. Uh, yeah, that's where Matt, we used to, we were second row friends, and I was mm-hmm. like, this guy likes Superman a lot from Absolutely. his t-shirts and tattoos. <laughs> so, have you parlayed that into uh, work? You said that there's something. Well, I, I think if the, I think Dan and I are some of the best acquaintances in LA. Gotcha, gotcha. We've had this I guess I strong. Dance one time yeah, from we, McGathy's birthday. Yeah. Um, Did you write like a role playing game for me? We did Aaron McGathy, and Aaron used to theme her birthday parties, and yeah. we came out with something called Zeitbart Station, Leibart Station. Breitbart Station. Oh, um, no. That's a that's this, Yes. Uh, where it was a uh, galactic theme thing where people were divided into teams and had to complete tasks. And then uh, people stole elements of the game that required it to function within 20 minutes. So everyone kind of got drunk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this, the, the, the themed birthday parties really need to come back. Going so, back to the story. No, so, so, so you as a writer, you write like these uh, immersive role-playing game experiences. Yeah, I, I'm coming script. out with um, Holly World, which is a Powered by the Apocalypse RPG about being a mover and shaker in LA, which no one seems to have done. There's these movies, they do movies into series, get shorties coming out from the 90s film, but it's never like, well, what, how can I interact with this? It's always a, here's the story of someone and the sleazy agents and the actresses, and here, now you're walking through the back lot, and Mm. isn't it weird that there's wood on one side of these sets? That's crazy. It's like, yep, we've seen it. So with this very active imagination that you have that allows you to create these stories and these different mediums and all that, were you always a comic book kid? Is that where that came from? Were you I a think, Superman guy? I think uh, I came up in the uh, 90s and a lot of the thing was secondary material, which was um, here's the X-Men Savage Lands promotional uh, Pizza Hut cup. Oh, sure. Here's the video game. Here's the other video game. Here's the posters. Here's the other stuff. So superhero is more than superhero comics. was the comics were the last thing I got into as a fan. It wasn't until Weird. we had all these trade paperbacks that I'd be like, oh, this is a good story. This is a good story. This gotcha. is a good story. But gotcha. we didn't have a great comic book store in Framingham at the time. It's weird how or we like, did or it didn't go there because I wasn't driving myself until it was gotcha. 22. Yeah, it's weird how comics are sort of like the third way to meet Superman. Now. Mm-hmm. Like people encounter him through cartoons and through like yeah the Injustice game like you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. But this, this is a very great story. If you're into the character at all, I would highly recommend this. It's one of the best stories um, about Superman in a larger DCU. Like, I personally tend to prefer mm-hmm. when Clark is by himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are better stories for me. I like when he has to handle everything and wear every hat. He has to be the detective. He has to be the strong man. He has to be the, the husband and the, mm-hmm. and the inspirational icon. I like when that's the character to me is he's, he's Atlas. He's overly yep. burdened by this responsibility. And when he has the team around him, he sort of becomes just like the he's, fist. He's, it's kind of like in the Marvel uh 
Margaret Weiss role-playing game where your character has different stats depending on if you're solo, sure. uh, duo, or in yeah. a team. Superman yeah, yeah. has that D4 whenever he's in a team. The Absolutely. Justice League stories are not interesting. The team-up stories are interesting, and the solo stuff is good. And but when Superman good is... Superman has the temps as the first superhero. He has the template of powers. Mm-hmm. He has strength, speed, and vulnerability, laser vision, X-ray vision, the, the kind of things that other superheroes are made in response to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So having the default there, it's like choosing the character who's like, I'm balanced. I can jump and sure. I can punch, but I can kick as well. And sure, it's like, sure. just let me play as Mario. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. let me play as Luigi. Absolutely. Absolutely. Really but uh, back to this, one of the most interesting dichotomous moments that I think defines Superman and Batman's relationship is when um, they're fighting. The, the the main thrust of the series is uh, President Luthor fucking hates Superman and Batman. He declares a billion-dollar bounty on them. And so everyone in the DC universe who likes money mm. tries to get them at once. Well, it's semi-justified, too, because there's a giant kryptonite comet that is coming to Superman, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's homing in on him like a homing missile. Yeah. And, like, so... He, it, the idea is that if you kill Superman before that happens, that it won't hit Earth and destroy mm-hmm. us all. And and super and like Lex Luthor is playing on some characters' patriotism mm-hmm. to be like, listen, it's a yeah, hard there, choice. A, but you've got to do yeah. like John Stewart, the Marine, and mm-hmm. Captain Adam in particular. Yep. Um, so those guys are kind of doing it. They're conflicted, but they know they have they have to kill Superman. Yep. And then the other ones are just yeah, straight money. I but the the one panel that I always think back to this one page is. Uh, it's Batman. He's taking on uh, Captain Cold and Mr. Freeze mm-hmm. and Killer Frost and all these people. And then we just see Superman in space yeah. from Earth's orbit uses heat vision to defeat all four of them while Batman's frozen in ice. Yeah. And Batman says something like, "I sometimes I forget that he has the power of a living God. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. And, and they're fighting on the White House lawn, mm-hmm. which is beautiful. I liked how controversial and like subversive this was when it came out. Like, they're they're taking on the president and like they're 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 like fighting in front of the Pentagon and stuff and it's really interesting that they're Superman is always the Boy Scout and in yep. the story he's taking on the government and that's that's yep. very rarely you done. talked in a previous episode about the intersection of uh, heroes and politics I think the second that they said let's have Lex run for president he was going to win yeah we weren't going to see Lex uh, an arc where Lex Luthor's like oh if only I campaigned harder in Missouri I could be president yeah yeah yeah. But and from there, we see the roots that, okay, Lex Luthor is going to be defeated by superheroes, or what are we doing with our lives? Mm-hmm. But I think, I think the cynicism or the, the real storytelling was in the run-up where Superman's like, okay, Lex Luthor has tried to kill me dozens of times, but as a resident alien and as a symbol of hope, I can't just, like, take politics into this. Yeah, yeah. Which in the 2000s was this amazing view. And nowadays, politics have become so ingrained in per, our personal and political situations, even as... White guys, things are political for us. For a lot of minorities, you know, for women, politics was always there. But for now, it's like, oh, politics is a thing. It's November 9th. I have to pay attention to politics. I think the arc where once Lex ran for president, he won and was defeated by Superman in the the story we tell. But I want to go into something else, which is the Lex president versus Superman president. We saw some of that in uh, Red Sun, but... Mm -hmm. I think a theme that we go back to, including Injustice, is Superman as this infallible monarch, Mm -hmm. which is Superman in Injustice, after the death of Lois, takes over the world. And it's a story about the good heroes trying to take him on. Sure. And it's always the story, the the structure of the story, and I think Harmon would be proud that I'm looking like this, <laughs> is we always have to start in a place where someone becomes a tyrant for good reasons mm-hmm. and has to end in a place where he's defeated for better reasons. Mm-hmm. But because we can't tell a story about, well, this alien came to Earth and eventually he went crazy and then he created a one world, world government, you know? Yeah. We'll we see. don't have that story within us to believe that that if we finally find a strong enough morally, physically, superhumanly dictator that problems will be eliminated. And this Superman references American politics a lot. Mm-hmm. I think there's, there's an issue where, like, Captain Adam ostensibly dies. He was a soldier. And yeah, he sacrifices himself. And that's Her. one we're talking about. He's talking about democracy in general, and he's like, I could have gotten involved earlier. I could have campaigned against Lex. I could have, like, I know that I could have influenced things either physically or through my my symbol, mm-hmm. and, but I chose not to because I want the people to be able, like, democracy is messy. Democracy is uh, the tyranny of the majority sometimes, mm-hmm. but it's, it's beautiful. The idea that we can uh, let people have their way for four years and try it out that's what america's based on and and like it's really interesting that he's talking about like even 
even like with this guy he hates more than anything in the entire mm-hmm. world he wants to allow him to be president because that's what his country means and what's it, so fascinating is that the the big superman lex dichotomy is their reaction to superman they're both billionaires they both have all these inventions that mimic superpowers they both i think lex has never been secret about his intentions the battle suits always they don't have the headpiece mm-hmm. some part of lex luthor yeah. says i'm going to fight you and i'm going to leave my head exposed because you have to know it's me yeah, yeah, yeah. this is not one of my minions this is me putting on the green and purple this is the world that i will create for you and his mind is george washington he's leading yeah. the battle yeah and in in, in red sun we see that he's we CIA officer Jimmy Olsen, which is ridiculous. I love it. Becomes <laughs> vice president, and he circulates the entire economy. You know, it's said that Lex has every dollar of the economy in his control, and he, that's the only way America still functions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even in that, though, even in that, the story of the Soviet Union versus America is battling totalitarian states. We have to, we have to see our absolute leaders as fallible, because the appeal of an absolute leader who can solve our problems is. Appealing, you know, decision is not. I mean, is we it, have one who can't solve our problems. To right Americans, because I like, I think the whole idea of democracy is that like there isn't one person who could solve a problem. That's why we have so many checks and balances, and we, we, we there's at least the illusion that we have uh, the ability to chime in on decisions. Yeah, my my the caveat is forty five percent of people didn't use that decision last year, and it's a fight of those who did. Um, this is the DSA part that I'm going to side tail people know where people know how I feel about these things if they've seen me tweet ever yeah, yeah. but i well, think one of the one of the other parts of this storyline one of these uh other storylines in here is uh black lightning joins the lex administration as like secretary of like education or something yeah, he was a teacher in his other identity i really like that it's the idea that he's trying to defeat um the beast from within and a lot of people who are complicit in evil believe that like they're but we've seen that scaramucci every every chief of staff has decided i'm the guy who's going to ride the tiger and then you know mm. It's not the tiger you have to be worried about. It's everyone else pushing you in the cage when you're not ready. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty pretty interesting story. And it's, Lex kind of hides behind these well-intentioned people. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that makes it harder for Bruce and Clark to go after him, too, because it's, it's just it's America. Like, they have an ideological uh, disagreement, but they can't move until Lex actually starts going crazy. Like, yeah. Lex has all—we see this with, like, our current president, where, mm-hmm. like, Lex has all the power in the world. He could do anything. He could save the planet the way he's always wanted to. But now he just sees it as a loaded gun with which to kill Superman. Yeah, and that's or why Obama, he's fallen. which is— <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's like, exactly. I have to be an anti-Obama. I have to be an anti-Superman. Not that Obama's Superman, but instead of just doing a better job, like if Trump was a better president than Obama, or if, if Lex Luthor, I think they're listening this the world because they'd rather hear cancer. anything else than this is this is every other podcast. Now. But I'm just saying, like I love I love that there's real parallels. I love that there's the vicarious thrill of uh, someone being able to do something about all of the problems. That is what superheroes are yeah. in general, and I like that uh, these things are dramatized very heavily. What I think is, yeah, what's fascinating about Lex and Superman is. The, the kryptonite ring. Mm-hmm. I think it was the 90s when the art came out that Lex always wears a kryptonite ring and it's giving him cancer. Yes, yeah, it's got like leukemia or something. It's like the idea that this corruption is so physically realized mm-hmm. that hatred is so. Well, the Buddha would say that hatred's like a hot stone that you intend to throw at someone else, but you have to hold on to it until you throw it. Yeah, yeah. And you get burned during that. I think That's Lex beautiful. Luthor is the, the idea of someone who. Batman's someone who can't get look, uh, let go of the past. I think Lex Luthor is someone who can't let go of the future. Yeah. Absolutely. Even when he's in the present, he can't see that this is the present. He can't be President Lex. He needs to be President Lex without Superman. Yeah. And even in this story, it starts to end with him saying that, like, we got to repeal that 22nd Amendment. I'm, I want to run for a third term. Exactly. And they're like, oh, man. Like, every every villain is a hero that hung around too long. So even if Lex did do some good stuff, like, his wanting to be in the spotlight forever makes him a villain. I think Superman, the most ironic Superman nickname is the Man of Tomorrow. Like because he really is like the, the quintessential. He still represents our best ideals of 1950s small town values. Mm-hmm. Truth, justice, honesty, the American way, mm-hmm. the idea of respect, you know, the, the, the artful way in which he flirts with Lois with this winking like, I think I know a little bit more than you. But the, the, the way they interplay is so great. And, and Injustice, the comic book, which I guess this is episode secretly about, kind of. <laughs> the way that we just get four pages of Lois, him and her getting out of bed in the morning. Mm-hmm. And it's the best Lois Lane that has ever been written. 
just the way that she flirts with him and the way that they relate to each other with her knowing he's Superman. And her just like, I don't know, I'll be careful out today. I wouldn't want to be abducted by an alien or something. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. He's very human, then you're playing. Yeah. I feel like that she humanizes him a lot. Yeah, this story is great. I love that Lex goes full on crazy. So it starts to be about it, it begins about these all philosophical issues and politics and whatnot, mm-hmm. and it just goes into like Lex snorting lines of kryptonite and like injecting <laughs> like Bane venom into his body. And, exactly. And he gets in a giant apocalypse battle suit, and he's like, "I'm gonna punch you guys to death." And like, it gets so much more Manichaean and simple at the end, where like, mm-hmm. "Oh, yeah, it's not political. It's just it's Lex Luthor. Like, screw this guy." And they have a like a fisticuffs throwdown, and it's very very fun. I think what's really cool I was referencing earlier in the podcast is that the throwdown is bifurcated. Mm-hmm. So the first part is Superman versus um, uh, Lex Luthor. And then I, I forget the order exactly. I know that the Bat family tries to confront Lex Luthor in the Oval Office. Yeah, they sneak in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he just um, he pets a poison gas on them, mm-hmm. which stops all of them, I think, except Nightwing, who he then... okay. Yeah, yeah, except Nightwing. Yeah, are we getting the, the I got you. time? Keep are going. we getting the... Okay, sorry. <laughs> I, thought was, I thought we were getting time. Um, and the idea that, like, oh, so one of Superman's friends is Crypto, who's involved in this arc, and every one of the Bat family and the Super family has some say against this tyrannical government, while it's still being Batman and Superman's story. Mm-hmm. Batman beats uh, Lex Luthor only after Superman has defeated him, and Lex is literally crawling in the sewers. Yeah, yeah. Back where we started our story. So you mentioned crypto, and I just remembered that I forgot to feed my pet. So we're going to break right now. All right. And then we'll be back. Oh, thank God my cat, who's named Crypto, isn't dead. So now now we're back. Thanks, Adam, for accommodating that. Yeah, yeah. We had a super speed over to my apartment in Koreatown. The speed of light. So anyway, we're talking about... (laughs) I like the idea that people wouldn't trust that you had visited your cat. And I was like, oh, of course. Like, uh, we had, our mass was nearly infinite, but the cat is alive. Yeah, you know, that's how you do it in Superman Town. So we were talking about the, the final fight between all these guys and how it was like bifurcated. There's different, like almost video game-like levels mm-hmm. to the final boss fight. One of them is they're fighting the heroes, mm-hmm. uh, Hawkman and uh, Shazam, or yeah. Captain Marvel throw down with Batman and Superman, and they're like the foils. In the, in the I series. wouldn't have normally seen Hawkman as like a parallel to Batman except for their animal motif yeah, do you think masks. it's a good pairing uh i don't know i don't know i think that uh, they're both savage warriors and that's pretty cool they're both basically men uh but as a thanagarian uh, i think that hawkman is really I, I think the hawkman mythos is really different from batman than he's a he's not a self-made man batman's a self-made man hawkman's a resurrected man yeah he's yeah. this iconic recurring character who travels through time and he i i I think the the mace the the idea of, of flight and freedom. Batman is never he's never free in the Batjet. You know, mm-hmm. the Batjet is only to achieve parody. He doesn't patrol in it. Well, that's why they're a foil, right? Because because like Hawkman in this, he even has the the fist of raw. He has this like magical MacGuffin. Oh yeah, he's this ultimate. Glove. That's why I thought these these are the opposite. But I think so Captain a, a Shazam god and a night god. Yeah. yeah, Shazam and uh, Superman are such amazing foils that they every every time shazam and superman appears they always have to face off because it's so so different in their approach to the all-american kind of gee whiz spit curl kind of image of what comic books started as how do you see them as being uh like different or or, or like combative i would say billy batson being a a, a child in all his appearances and superman being this developed man it's I think often they play on the compromises that Superman's had to make mm-hmm. or that Superman knows more. He's wise. He's yeah. his wisdom. They threw down in the Cadmus arc on um the Justice League Unlimited cartoon series, and I think that's the most um interesting dichotomy they have, which is Billy Bats can almost always be led around by the nose because he's a ten year old. Yeah, it happens in Kingdom Come. It happens in that, that cartoon you just mentioned. It happens yeah. a, and this story by Lex Luthor. And yeah. Superman will never be forgiven for beating him, you know? Mm-hmm. He's unlike Lex, who, you know, the gloves are always off of Lex. Mm-hmm. But with Billy, it's like you have to beat the guy who has your weakness, but you really can't overdo it. Mm-hmm. But because he's so straightforward, Superman can't win a compelling moral argument against Billy Batson because there's it's good, there's evil, that's all Billy needs to know. Yeah, yeah. But, um, well, that's Clark's thing too. So it's interesting to have those guys fight because Clark's like from Elliot Magan was like, "There's a right and a wrong in the universe, and the distinction is not very hard to make." That's mm-hmm. always the Superman perspectives, and Billy has that too. But Billy has even less nuance than sure. he does. Because I, w- I would agree with that. What yeah. do you think is the ultimate 
superhero f- uh, foe for Batman? Not super villain, but who do you think? Who, I mean, uh, who do you think Superman's best non-Batman superhero foe is? Who do you think really brings the most out of him? Because he basically fights everyone who's basically this story is like villains and government people and antiheroes and his friends from the Justice League are like, good luck, buddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's it's fun. There's not really that many pairings with him and Catwoman, which is mm-hmm. interesting because I think that she has a a very nuanced morality code that would make him uncomfortable. Like like she's the Robin Hood. Uh, mm-hmm. She'll like rob from people who have like she'll steal the tigers from a Las Vegas magic show and go mm-hmm. release them in the wild. And like, is that theft or is that morally proper? And I think Clark has a lot of trouble with uh, finding that line there. He also has Catwoman has always represented Batman's like subverted sexuality like the idea that she's the ultimate you're going to be a superhero and that's going to include your sex life as well Mm -hmm. in spider-man we get to see mary jane versus black cat for batman he really hasn't had like all these really great like civilian identity loves because the civilian identity is the mask yeah, I think Superman. there's St. Clair, right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, and like Talia Al yeah. Ghul and stuff. She's even worked. I mean, she yeah. represents his life as an assassin. <laughs> yeah, like Superman uh, obsesses over girls one at a time. He's a serial monogamist, even nice. if they're not dating him. It's really funny. He's like, with Lana Lang, he can't think of anyone else. And then with Lois Lane, that's it. Once he moves to Metropolis, like you don't see him kind of like interacting with people, which isn't very Superman to me. Because mm-hmm. I, I think he is obsessed with humanity and and he's a reporter because he likes to interview people and see how they think and mm-hmm. he likes to check his own kryptonian impulses against human impulses and mm-hmm. i think he would want to meet as many people as possible like not that he's yeah. like superman's not like a tinder guy but i think he'd yeah. want to like engage different human beings and, and have a lot of different friendships and that would I be think dating it's naturally. surprising that it took until like a few years ago until wonder woman was floated as his perfect partner I hate that <laughs> do you are you a fan of that i want to hear why you hate it because it's because it just seems like uh weird like fascist eugenics logic of like they're the strongest they would date and i don't think that he uh would go for someone who's exactly like him which wonder woman is i think i think the idea that lois is physically frail but is morally strong and intellectually at least equal and often smarter than him yeah i think that's interesting but i don't think that like if, if he dated wonder woman it would be because he was afraid that uh people would hurt his love interest and mm-hmm. no one's going to hurt Wonder Woman. She's probably a better fighter than he is. I think that's part of what came up in Superman, Wonder Woman and mm-hmm. the, uh, some of the issues. But I think the idea that they're completely the same is uh, fallacious. I think it's I think it's a bit off step. I don't think it's fallacious. I don't think you've erred truly in the logic <laughs> of comic books. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. But uh, I think they both represent the foreign... Uh, princes you know of of cultures that uh even themiscara which has some interaction with the outside world clark is an ambassador to krypton which exists and doesn't exist and exists in the past it's an idea yeah yeah but he's this representative of someone who's not an earthling mm-hmm. she probably represents his ability to not have to integrate the idea of still being apart and still finding an equal not necessarily an opposite but an equal and her background, which we seldom talk about, she just didn't find a man. To, she like she hadn't like seen a dude until she was like Steve Trevor crashed, and she was in her like eighteen twenties, yeah. you know, generic superhero young age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the idea that she only had to deal with you know military pilots and people were like. You're from the girl island? What's that like? And then yeah. to see someone who's like, oh, he's the most powerful person on the planet. He's worthy of you. We don't see it from her but perspective. I don't think that she thinks that way, though. You know, again, it would, it would be like someone, I think she likes Trevor for the same reason, that like he's a soldier, even though he's paper thin to mm-hmm. her. And that's that's interesting. And, and like, I, yeah. Uh... I think what's really interesting about their pairing and what the story was about is you can write two characters falling in love, but the thing that reacts is the world goes batshit crazy about them pairing up it's, it's, a it's huge... like russia and the u.s teaming up and becoming because one they nation. can't yeah. understand that there's this that the, that the two most powerful beings will have dedication to each other instead of their homelands mm-hmm. which i think is i don't think i don't think comic books are very often portray a good or functional government i think well it's... If, if they did they wouldn't be superheroes there'd be no yeah. need for them right yeah, I, I, like unless you're reading GI. Well, we always get the CIA. We always get uh, the XP of the CIA, FBI, Shield, or um, 
Black Ops or Checkmate or something. Yeah, speaking of Checkmate, Amanda Waller's in those series, and she and Lex have a kiss, which makes me infinitely happy. It's really funny. It comes out of nowhere. Uh, And this is back when Amanda Waller was Amanda the Wall. The Wall, She wasn't like the... Vivica Fox, super like hot. I liked her on Arrow. I, th- I thought that there was a tremendously great performance. I liked her on Smallville when it was Pam Greer. Uh, I like Pam Greer really had. I think the Wall is such an interesting foe for Superman because unlike Lex, who's deeply personal, mm. and we have origins going back to Lex hates him because Superman made him bald. <laughs> like that's the level that's of petty ridiculousness. Yeah. But uh, the Wall sees him as this rogue factor this living human missile Mm -hmm. this uh, and this beloved figure when she can't be loved because her job is to be secret and she's a control nerd that's why she runs the suicide squad yeah and i really like that uh lex worships that about her like of course he would be into her but we never saw that before this Mm -hmm. and it's it's very abrupt and she doesn't respond verbally to it she just kind of like looks at him with wide eyes a very cool pairing. I think I like that as much as you like the Superman Wonder Woman. I thing. think Superman Wonder Woman's interesting. Mm-hmm. I think um, we haven't seen much of Lex's love life because we portray him as this loveless uh, creature. But I wonder uh, if you can speak on that a bit more. I think yeah, Lex doesn't believe in partnerships because mm-hmm. he doesn't think he has an equal. So he's a very like dominant kind of Fifty Shades of Lex personality kind of guy. <laughs> that would be a good one. I like uh, his relationship with Mercy Graves that... is something I would love to explore where she's she's an Amazonian who's mm-hmm. also his, she's like his subordinate. His like, bodyguard? Yeah, she's his a bodyguard and she's his chauffeur and she like shuffles his papers and like, and she's a, a Wonder Woman style Amazonian and he mm-hmm. like gets off on the idea that she's like submissive to him. And I, I've, I've always saw, saw that as like his only like sexual or romantic relationship even as a kid i was like oh that's clearly creepy like she's in this weird leather costume all the time like <laughs> that there's that's really interesting there's like a yeah a top bottom thing there yeah it's i think it's i think well this is going to become a very bad podcast very soon <laughs> i will say uh i think if you're an amazonian and you're constantly around people who are mentally strong all the time being mm-hmm. the, the idea of seeing a new type of strength a new type of intellectual power yeah, yeah. has got to be something really attractive about lex yeah, if yeah. you can get over the fact he's evil which we can't because they're superman comic books they're not lex luther comic <laughs> books if we were reading lex luther 438 we'd be like of course he has to destroy that annoying superman who's always messing with him pesky anarchist yes yeah yeah, but I, I like that uh, the Amazonians are always about um, loving submission, which is a mm-hmm. William Moulton Marston yeah, in real that's life. The... Like, men have to exist in loving submission to women. But they, they reverse it with, with Mercy because she's mm-hmm. the villain. So she li- Ironic she... for the name Mercy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she lives in loving submission to Lex Luthor, and she worships just the idea of strength. And, like, I would like to see that played out more. It's never happened before. I think a Fifty but... Shades of Lex would have been a great movie if Christian Grey was doing all those things, but also he was trying Kryptonite to keep secret ring. from Anna that he was trying to kill Superman. Oh, my God. It's like, you have to stay in the red room and you just hear explosions nearby. Yeah. Oh, it'd be so good. What's that? I, I know... see and see every room in your tower, Christian. <laughs> except one. It's lined with lead. Yes. What yes. do you do in and there? And then he breaks it open. There's just like mercy graves in there. I'm like a. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know yeah, what those things are called. We, we're pretending. I'm gonna we don't pretend not to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't know what a punishment oh cross is. I know at least one um, DC Comics Superman editor listens to this podcast because I got a call about it. So I don't steal that, you guys. You can don't have, steal. I, mean... I want to write. Let me write like a Vertigo super hot romance with Mercy and Lex. Uh, <laughs> one called, of those subscription Le- websites. It's called Lex Colon Have Mercy. <laughs> yes oh my god wonder so, woman would be too obvious though you guys, she has to be the silent partner he's write fan fiction about this all right link yes and, link and don't link me to it just, just link adam just follow me on twitter exclusively i think one of the things i got when i was trying to do the voice is that the quintessential superman voice is george newburn to me who did the, the animated series and mm-hmm. he does injustice and it's something that they, they, there's this great YouTube supercut of everyone who's played um, Superman since the radio series. Yeah, yeah. And everyone else seems to be putting on this voice. But this is basically just George adding timber to his voice. Mm-hmm. And when he says Authority things... and weight. It, exactly. When he says something, you know that this is someone with the patience who knows that he will outlive you, outfight you, and he is morally right. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is trying to play off, I think, a response to that character. Everyone yeah. is trying to create a, a more fun, a more funny, a, a dumber, a, like a mm-hmm. more energetic version of what George did, which is kind of like Clancy, Clancy Brown's Lex yeah. or Mark Hamill's Joker. Yeah. That there will other be other people, but you kind of hear it in response to whether or not they go into the... 
into those specific places they inhabit the character. I think when Superman fights you or like catches you as a crook or whatever, you just feel ashamed of yourself. It's like your dad catching you with your hand on the cookie jar. Well, Batman scares you. Um, yeah. Yeah, but Superman, you're just like, I know I'm better than this. I'm sorry. I think it's the body language. Batman appears to you. You get a few seconds before he punches you, Ned. Superman's going to float there with his arms crossed and a cape waving. Just and that's, frowning and shaking his head. That's The body language of flying and having your arms crossed is so powerful. It's really funny, too. It's a good visual. We mentioned that uh, Superman, when he's around people, he becomes less intelligent, generally. Mm-hmm. Batman becomes, like pitch black dark around mm-hmm. Superman there's a point in the series where like so they, they're in the Oval Office and like or mm-hmm. whatever they, they've, they've fought Lex and, and Clark has his like hands around Lex's throat mm-hmm. and uh, and he's like near killing him mm-hmm. he's so angry that uh, Lex has destroyed the country that he loves and the planet that he loves like he's really mad and then Batman says like I'm not gonna stop you uh, there are ways that we can make it look like an accident. We can just make it look like he disappeared. Like, this guy's worse the than the Joker. The idea that Batman can p- disappear the President of the United States it's is pretty preposterous. It's pretty great. <laughs> That's Wayne-level <laughs> arrogance. And, like, and internally... Where's the President? I don't know. It's an open case. <laughs> yeah, and, like, internally, he's talking about, like, this guy's worse than the Joker, even, because mm-hmm. the Joker will shoot a kid, mm-hmm. but this guy's going to, like, nuke the planet. This guy's mm-hmm. going to ruin the idea of America for future generations. Like, this guy is... Enemy number one, mm-hmm. and like Batman. That's the name of the art. Public enemies Public number enemies. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, so the idea that Bruce would let anyone kill in front of him is the dumbest thing of all time. Yeah. But so, but Superman wouldn't. So they needed Batman too. Yeah. And that was sort of like that's if anything bad. In the I story, think I think sometimes when you put two characters together, you have to like erase the gray between them and just shift the gray to one side or the other. Yeah, Which is why this is probably the best Superman-Batman pairing, and Batman versus Superman is the worst, because they, they they both went to the middle so hard mm-hmm. that there was no sense in that movie. And sir, the episode that you do on that movie will be two hours long. Yeah, yeah. Or never come out, depending on how Warner... I want a podcast where it's just that movie, yeah. where every guest just watches that movie over and over and over again. And they, they just get the live commentary. There's that one movie... Uh, I don't know if it was the Qs or something, but randomly they had Carrot Top do the commentary for it. For he wasn't in the movie. It's not like Chairman I, of the Board. <laughs> no. That'd be, I'd love to hear what he thought about Chairman of the B-O-R-E-D, yeah, as yeah, Norm yeah. said on Conan. Oh, man. I wish that uh, Carrot Top was Lex Luthor, because Jesse Eisenberg is basically doing a Carrot Top impression. So. <sighs> Yeah. yeah, like when he pulls all those props, he's at the courthouse, he pulls all those props out of a bag, and he's like, hey, let- Superman, let's see how you see a-, a bicycle with square wheels. And they're all kryptonite. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're all kryptonite. The kryptonite <laughs> prop comedian. It's like, this is what you wear on an airplane with a crying baby. And on one side it says, someone shut that baby up, and the other it's just kryptonite. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's pitch number two. That's where the all right, we got, we got, We got some great... It's a great development meeting. So but who good. do you think is the voice of Superman? Who do when do you hear when you hear what do you hear a voice when you read comic panels? Um, you know, I guess it's like I don't cast it with actors. Mm-hmm. I think I do in my head and that's why I'm always like slightly taken aback with like radio stuff or film stuff or cartoon stuff because like, it's not your it's head. It's not my head. That's not like how my invisible dad sounds. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, what about you? Um, I, the, the I named my I named yeah. my faves, but the, it's it's pretty essential that the best cartoons are when you were a kid. Mm-hmm. The best music yeah, yeah, is yeah. whatever you listen to in high school. Yeah, yeah. And people will argue these things without understanding that your conditioning is your preference. It's funny. Adam's wearing a whole shirt right now, which is an awesome '90s band, and Jinko is jeans. Jinko's... I'm wearing a blue T-shirt that says "Mass Hole" on it <laughs> because I saw a similar shirt in Rock Band Two, hmm. and I waited years and years and years, and there was finally one on sale, and I bought it. You're a hero. I once tried to buy a shark skin blue suit, but because I saw it in Rock Band 2, I was like, oh, this is more money than I made in five summers of working at Walgreens. I will never have it. That's very Lex Luthor to buy yes. a shark skin suit. Well, just the light blue color. Every All the, all the suits were so dour. Because obviously, you don't want to have to wash your suit every time you spill on it. But This is now a fashion podcast. This is now a fashion. This is now put things on, too. Put on this cape. Project, so, did yeah. you ever uh, read Project uh, Rooftop? Yes, dude. That yeah. was so awesome. Oh did God, they, John they... Morris and Dean Tripp are like my heroes. They both worked on that. Yeah, that's a great website. I love it. For those who don't know, it was a huge blog thing where they would have fashion designers and comic artists just redo superheroes' costumes. And that's all it was. And they would have actual fashionistas critique each costume for like... 
this is what's good about the look. And often be like, this is good, but you could never wear it. Yeah, yeah. And other people like, I want to wear this right now. That's so <laughs> awesome. How did you... I recently wrote a comic for DC where like they hire writers sometimes to write these things called inventory issues mm-hmm. where like if the creative team is uh, going to be late, then they can they have this like drawer of issues that are evergreen stories that can just drop in. Nice. And I wrote one and I chose my artist from Project Rooftop. Nice. And it worked out. It was pretty awesome. What story was it? I can't say. Okay. But I'll tell you I was going to drop in. I always read all of your stuff. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> I loved Unstoppable Thunder Christ. Oh, thanks, man. That was so good. That was a fun one. That was a fun one. So, yeah, I love this story. I love that you chose this. It's a great uh, – when people want to get into the DC universe, I oftentimes will give them this because there's so many heroes, so many villains. You get all of the Batman family, all mm-hmm. the Superman family, including Crypto, every villain. Uh, you get Lex Luthor's awesome motivation to be a bad guy. Like, it's a great first-time DC book. So I'm really happy that we did talk get, about this one. Um, it was a great choice to have me on this podcast. I feel like that's true for every that's podcast. That's an asshole thing to say. <laughs> well, I, like, I wanted that to be like I wanted that to be like a four and a half condescension, and it kind of spiked to a twelve. <laughs> that's pretty. But good. Uh, that's pretty uh, good. no, I can't wait to be back to discuss some of the other side things that we got. To. But Eric, this has been a great time. Oh, thanks, man. And thanks. I got to give tell people if you're going to read Superman and you want to read Batman at once. This is a place to start. Absolutely, absolutely. So what's next for you as a creative person? What are you working um, on now? Well, there's the, a lot of fun NDAs I'm under. Excellent. And Excellent. a lot of... I've it's non-disclosure learned, agreements for people who aren't for, in LA. Well, don't tell them that. Now they'll know everything. <laughs> um, some new projects with agent web development. Um, that's always a lot of fun. And um, Anything not boring sounding? Fuck you. <gasps> oh, this is oh, okay, okay fine. Censor that. Uh, let's, can, you, can, can you give me that uh, question again? <laughs> We're just going to drop in like Lois Lane quotes whenever you swear. That's going to be great. Margot Kidder style. <laughs> can you give me the question again? Oh, yeah. Anything anything you're working on right now that's very exciting that you want to talk about? That our Well, uh, can listen speaking to? of uh, the Democratic Socialists of America, I'm trying to get a comic book. Co- oh, this, Are you really? this actually happened. That's a cool idea. We had... Uh, I. Uh, we had the two weeks ago. We had the Chicago convention, yeah. which had thousands of socialists from all across the country. So do you guys cosplay as Bernie Sanders and stuff? <laughs> uh, we have some yeah. members who do look like that. But I, act, <laughs> I, I asked for two rooms so I could run an RPG during some of the sessions. That is, awesome. and they created the much maligned gaming caucus. Yes, there is a dude. breakout session for like uh, Southern Caucus, disability rights, people of color, poverty, mm. and it's just one of them just said gaming. I feel like they're uh, equally valid as people of color and women and the disabled. Those are the, the those, that's, those that's are the ways we have to organize. That's what you should do. We have do, to yeah. make sure our our movement applies. Well, they they have the gaming caucus. It's called lim- libertarianism. That is such a nerdy joke. Thank you. It's amazing. <laughs> Hope it fits our venue, Eric. <laughs> It's been a wonderful time. Yes, people sir. can look me up under yes, Adam yes, Ultraberg. Can you spell it in case people are crazy? A-D-A-M-U-L-T-R-A-B-E-R-G. Excellent. The final Berg. Too many other Adam Goldbergs in America. Excellent. Making the Goldbergs. We're characters named Adam Goldberg. Yeah, and find Adam on FetLife so you can talk about that Mercy Graves pitch we were just talking about. Also Adam Ultraberg. Ultraberg. <laughs> Amazing. But I spell it with oh. a U. I spell it with a U so that the Google Analytics can't find out. So good. So good. All right. Thanks, Adam. We're going to go uh, make sure my cat's still okay. All right. Check the cat again. Bye, guys. With Eric Esquivel. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.